You know, we're on a journey as people. You know, God has us on a, pla- on a path. And that path is exactly where he wants us. But you know, a lot of times, you know, we're like the kids on the trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Sometimes, you know, the path that God takes us on just isn't, isn't happening fast enough. And the challenge is, is being able to trust God on the journey because we are on a journey. And being able to trust God in that journey is a challenge for all of us as people. And so that's what this whole um, series is about, is being people who are willing to trust God on the journey that He has for us. And being able to recognize that God is in control in all circumstances. And hopefully, as we go through these, these chapters in Exodus, we just become more comfortable being in God's plan and more excited about participating in the midst of the journey. So we're going to be in Exodus 2 this morning. So if you turn your Bibles to Exodus 2, we're going to start with verse 1. This is a, this is a great chapter. It's rapidly becoming my favorite book of the Bible. So Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile and with her maidens walking along, alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. What a surprise. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Now, I've read that, I've read that story I don't know how many times. Man, I read it this last couple of weeks, and I went, ah, wow, that, that is amazing. Now, and I want to set context for those of you that weren't here last week. Last, yeah, last, chapter 1 of Exodus talks about the people of Israel. The people of Israel started multiplying. They came into um, Egypt with, with, when there was a famine. Joseph was the right-hand man to Pharaoh. Joseph allowed the people to come in. They settled in Egypt. They were able to eat and get fed, and they just settled in, and they began to multiply, and now they're numerous. And so the Pharaoh looks out and says, wow, there's a lot of people. And he says, you know, if, if we ever got attacked from that side, they would join forces with the enemy, and we would be done. So we gotta, we got to strategize this and make sure that doesn't happen. So what ended up happening is he, he made them slaves and started to treat them harshly, started making them build things for them, and it just, just began to oppress them because oppressed people won't revolt. And then it got even to the point where he says, you know, we got to make sure that there aren't any more soldiers born. We don't want anybody capable of fighting to be born. And so he told the midwives, when somebody's born, just kill them if it's a boy, if it's a girl, it's okay. 
And the midwives wouldn't do it because they feared God. And then he said, why, why won't you do that? They says, well, the, they, they just have the baby before we get there. There's nothing we can do. He says, well, forget that then. Every male that's born, throw him in the Nile. If anybody in Egypt finds a male that's a baby, he goes in the Nile. Okay, you with me? So this is the edict by the, by the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Are you with me? This is, this is like a suggestion from your next door neighbor. This is, this, is, this is the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, saying this is what happens to your son. So, so, so think about it. So your mother, you're pregnant, you're ready to have a baby, and you're, as the baby's being delivered, you go, girl, 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 oh, boy. You know? So, so, so the mother has a son. And she goes, oh, this is horrible. But she looks at him, and she goes, wow. She says she conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was, a, he was beautiful, she hit him, in the, in the, in the, in, hit him for three months, I think. She saw that he was beautiful. What mother has ever had a baby and not thought that baby was beautiful? I mean, could you just imagine? You have the baby, you go, well, that is ugly. I mean, no woman says that, right? No woman says that. I mean, we men, we'll look at it and go, that is ugly. Is that ugly, Jim? Yeah, that's ugly. The, 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 the women look at it and go, that's the most beautiful baby in the world. And we're going, really? Okay, so, so, so it's a beautiful baby, so, so she, she, she hides it. And, and it starts growing, and it gets louder, and the cries get louder, and she goes, oh, man, what am I going to do? And this is just such a perfect Sunday for this message because she goes, all I can do is take this child and put him in God's hands. There is nothing else I can do. And so she takes that baby, and she puts him in a basket, and actually the word for that basket is, is, is ark. It's actually the same word that's used when, when they talk about Noah's ark, it's the only time those two words are used in the Bible. That's interesting. So I don't know if she knew Old Testament history, although the Old Testament really wasn't all that long. It's like Genesis. But um, maybe. But she puts him in, the, in this wicker basket and says, God, you take over. I, there's nothing I can do. I mean, what a great thing to be able to do is to say, you know, I'm just going to place you in God's hands. And I'm going to trust God that God will do what's best. And Miriam, her, his older sister, is kind of checking out. You know, that's how kids do. Well, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. You know? So, so Pharaoh's daughter comes. And, and, and he, she sees that it's a baby. And she does what women do, right? Oh, right? And so, so Miriam comes up and goes, you, you want me to find somebody to nurse this baby? And she goes, yeah, go find somebody. So she goes and finds her mother, right? who's his mother, and brings the baby to his mother, and his mother gets to take care of him. Is that amazing? I mean, is that amazing? I mean, and, and she pays her to take care of her kid. That is, I mean, think about it. My, my son is going to die. <laughs> She's going to pay me to take care of him. Are you kidding? That is, that is amazing. And so she takes care of him and um, has to give him back to Pharaoh's daughter. But is that a testimony? Now think about this. My, my child was, was going to die. I trusted God, and now the Pharaoh's daughter is bringing him up in the temple, I mean in the palace. I mean, here's, here's a child that had no hope that is going to be 
raised in the palace. He's going to be a prince. Is that unbelievable? Imagine that testimony. Imagine what, the, what his wife must have been, or what the mother must have been thinking. In the midst of a time where everybody's lamenting, everybody's discouraged, everybody's sad, everybody's defeated. And she goes, you know what? I, I, I can't live in that world. I got to do something. And she does what she can do. There's a lot of things that are out of our control, right? But there's, there's some things that are in our control. And when we do the little things that we can do that are in our control, God does amazing things. And so because we talked, we talked last, last week about this, this, this um, principle of behavior that I think is a powerful principle. Perception leads to self-talk, which leads to behavior. Remember that from last week? So our perception, how we see things, how we filter things, causes us to begin to, to internalize that message. And we talked last week about how we can internalize stuff. We can think 1,200 words per minute. And so depending on what we're thinking, whether it's positive or negative, all kinds of things can happen. And then we behave based on that. And so we have, we have this lady who goes, man, this is hopeless, I, but, I, but God is big. And I know that there must be something that I can do that will help protect my son. So I'm going to put him in the best hands that I know. I'm going to put him in God's hands. So she takes him out and puts him in this basket and puts him in the Nile and gives him to God. And the results are unbelievable. And what's amazing to me is at the same time, this, this child that's going to be born, who's going to be the one who leads Israel out of Egypt. I mean, do you get that? He, nobody knows that yet because we haven't read the end of the chapter, but let me tell you, that's what happens. He is going to lead the people out of, out of Egypt. It's going to be powerful. The people of Israel are depressed, discouraged, and in bondage. They're oppressed. They have no hope. And in the midst of them having no hope, God is doing a powerful work. And I want us to get that principle because we can have this perception that nothing is happening. It's easy for us to have a perception that because I don't see something happening in my circumstances and because I don't see things happening in my circumstances, then God isn't doing anything. Do you ever feel that way? And our self-talk becomes, man, you know, God is not here. God doesn't care about me. This situation's hopeless. And then our behavior is one of defeat and discouragement and disillusionment. And instead of like Ricky was talking about having this joy of knowing that, that God has given us a perspective that's different and we can have joy and confidence, we're discouraged and disillusioned. And these people were experiencing a disillusioned life in the midst of God doing a miraculous work. Isn't that sad? Nothing is more sad than seeing somebody discouraged, disillusioned, and depressed when God is doing something powerful. But it happens to us all the time. Because our perspective becomes so limited to our circumstances. And if my circumstances don't tell me something that says, that makes sense to me, then I go, oh, God's not here. Must be over there helping Ricky. I don't know where he is. You know, I mean, we have to be a people who allow God to change our perception so that we can become people who live in hope. So as, as Moses grows, let's go to verse 11. Now it came about in those days that when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. 
one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, you know, we don't hear a lot about Moses. It's kind of like the story of Christ, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Jesus was born. He was born in this, in this little village. The Savior of the world was born. Who knew about it? A couple of shepherds. Nobody. Same, same exact thing that happened with Moses. And so try to find out what happened from G, with Jesus. Like, listen, he was a kid to 12 years old, and then when he was 12 years old to 30. I mean, that, nobody knows. Same thing with Moses. It's really hard to know what happened in this guy's life, but we know that, that he grew and he started to have a heart for his people. And he started to care about his people. He started to be concerned about his people. And Moses really wanted to help. It just seems that way as we read this passage. Like he wanted to do something to help. He saw that his people were oppressed. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he went out to see what was going on and to see the oppression that his people were feeling and were experiencing. And when he saw this Egyptian beating on this Hebrew, he, he wanted to do something. And, and it says that he looked, he looked both ways to see if anybody was watching. Now, why do you usually look around before you do something? To see if anybody's watching? Exactly. It's usually something you're not supposed to be doing, right? So you look around to make sure nobody's watching, which he did, and then he went and helped this Hebrew. He took care of the situation, and, and he buried the Egyptian in the sand. And usually when we look around to make sure nobody's watching, we, we usually, somebody finds out. Somebody finds out. So, so he looks around, and he's really trying to help this, this you know, his people. And I, and I would think, you know, as we look at Moses, and we, and we think about this whole concept of perception, self-talk, behavior stuff. I mean, Moses had to be thinking, you know, I'm a prince. I'm a powerful person. I know I can help these people. I know I can do something to make a difference. I got to go check it out and see what I can do. And then the opportunity presents himself. He goes, oh, good, there's something I can do. And he takes care of it. Now, he looks both ways. And I go, why did he do that? He's the prince of Egypt. I mean, the dude can do whatever the heck he wants to do. Well, apparently... If an Egyptian murders another Egyptian, that's capital punishment. So he kind of knew the consequences of his behavior when he went into this thing. And yet he went in and he did what he thought he could do based on what he knew from his experience and his background and his upbringing. And I, I was going, well, I got to understand, how old was he? I mean, you know, where was he in his life as I did that? So I, I went back and there was a guy named Stephen in Acts. So we're going to kind of keep our finger in Exodus 2 and Acts 7 because we're going to kind of go back and forth between those two chapters. If we, go to, if we go to Acts 7 and we're going to pick it up at verse 22, Stephen kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of where Moses was at and where Moses was at in his life. It says in verse 22 that Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power and words and deeds. And we're going to revisit that verse a lot over the next several weeks. But when he is approaching the age of 40, so he is about 40 at this time, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. So he knew that they were his, his brethren. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptians. So he wanted to do something for his oppressed people. Are you guys with me? 
And he supposed, now this is unbelievable, he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. So his perception was, God wants to use me to help this oppressed people. And so his perception is, man, God wants to use me. His self-talk goes, I, there's something I got to do. And so he goes and helps. Unfortunately, that was not the, the, the perspective of the people. So he goes and he helps and he's thinking that they're going to see that what he was doing was helping them. So let's go back to Exodus 2. Why does it have to be so far apart? Okay, Exodus 2. So in Exodus 2, starting at verse 13, so the first day he goes out and he does stuff, he goes, man, this will really be helpful. The second day he goes out and he went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews are fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? When he, but, but he said, this is the Hebrew, he says, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. Now, Stephen, go back to where your finger is in Acts 7. Stephen talks about this a little bit because he says this. He says, he says um, on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? In verse 27, it says, But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away. So there had to be one guy who was more aggressive than the other guy. So from, it appears that one guy was beating up on the other guy. And, and, and Moses wanted to come and say, what are you doing? Why are you beating up on this guy? And he was, he was close enough that the guy had to push him away. So Moses was really trying to physically move in and, and help in a situation. And so the, the uh, one who was injured and pushed him away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over him? Do you mean to kill me like you did the others? And then it goes on, he flees. So I read that and I go, what is that really all about? You know, it says Moses was educated in the, in the ways of Egypt. So Egypt at that time was one of the most academic and scientific societies among um, ancient cultures. I mean, the Egyptians had it made when it came to education. I mean, it's reasonable to think that when Moses was educated, the man, he understood geography, history, grammar, writing, literature, philosophy, music, the art of war. I mean, he, he was educated completely and fully. So as Stephen said, he was powerful in speech and actions. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in the first century, suggested that Moses was a commander in the Egyptian army and led a successful campaign in Ethiopia. And then he went on, he says that, that Moses was being trained and groomed to become the next pharaoh of Egypt. And then he goes on, he says, all the while aware of his true origins because of his mother. So I, I read this and I go, well, that, this, this is really interesting. Because, so, so picture yourself. You're, you're an oppressed person, a, a Hebrew who's a slave, who basically is being compliant to anything that the, that the Egyptians want, want you to do. Are you picturing this emotionally? They tell you to do something, you do it. You don't argue. You don't, you don't, you, if you do, you get beat. So, so this, the, the, this is where the Hebrews are at, right? Compliant, slaves, oppressed. And so Moses comes. Moses is the heir apparent to Pharaoh. Moses is a powerful person in Egypt. Are you with me? Probably the second most powerful person in Egypt. And he comes to a slave, 
And he says, why are you guys fighting? And the guy looks up at him and said, who made you a prince? I mean, does that even make sense to you guys that somebody would say that? It's like, it's like you're going 90 miles an hour down the freeway. The highway patrol pulls you over. He, he comes to your window and he says, can I have your registration, please? He goes, what gives you the right to ask for my registration? I mean, th- that won't go well, will it? No. no I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even think of doing that, right? What would make this person think, this is Moses, the... He's the second in command. Well, who made you prince? Who made you judge? Who the heck do you think you are? I can't even imagine that. So I, I, had, to, I, had, to, I had to just think. I mean, I studied and I tried to figure out, does anybody have any information on this? I couldn't find anything. So listen, when I preach, I like to really talk about Scripture, but I'm going to give you a disclaimer right now. This is my opinion, okay? So don't go, go telling somebody that Dave made up a new Bible or something, Okay. This is just my opinion, but based on all the stuff that I've been reading and studying, I'm trying to piece this together, especially when I look at how powerful it is when we have perspectives and perceptions that can totally taint what God wants to do. So, so here's Moses. Moses was born, right? And, and, and he should have been killed. And his mother takes him and puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter gets him, and then he goes into Pharaoh's court. Do you, do you think possibly his mother came up and said, you wouldn't believe what happened. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But I, I, put, I put my baby in the... And, she, and, and he tells her. And you know what she does? She goes, hey, listen, don't tell anybody. But man, I just talked to this guy, this lady, and, and he put her baby in the bed, and, and they named him Moses. And then and she goes, well, don't tell anybody. And, and before you know it, three million people know that this lady put this baby in the basket, and now this baby's Moses. Okay? And if his mother didn't do it, I'm sure Miriam did. And probably not the dad, because we dads don't talk, right? Somebody had to say something, right? But by the way, how did the guy know that Moses killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand? It was one of two things, from my, my best guess, is one is either one of those two guys was um, the guy that Moses saved, which would have been the guy beating up the other guy, would you think that parable that Jesus said when the guy forgave $10 million and then he went and ringed the neck of the guy that owed him 10 cents? He says, well, Moses just saved you and now you're telling Moses who makes you judge? I mean, I'd be kissing his feet. Or, more likely, the guy that Moses saved and hid in the sand came back and go, you wouldn't believe what happened. Man, this guy was beating the heck out of me and then this Moses came and he grabbed the guy, he killed him and he buried him in the sand. You want, you want to, I'll come show you. Here, look, here's where he is. It's just hard to hide things, isn't it? Now, think about this. Moses was born, was given to Pharaoh's, well, Pharaoh's daughter found him. Now he's being raised in the palace. I am a slave. I am being oppressed. I look up and I see this Moses guy, especially when he's 20, 30, 40. When he gets to that age and he starts becoming a warrior, he starts becoming a prince, he starts going down and conquering nations, you think there's a little bit of pomp and splendor around him? That people are looking up at him and he's in his chariot with all his guys around him walking big and stuff. And here I am a slave going, he is one of us. That sucker. Right? I hate him. I want nothing to do with him. Why isn't he helping us? Why isn't he doing something? What a slime bag that guy is. You think anybody would be thinking that? Here's a perception that we begin to get based on our circumstances that go, this guy is a horrible person. 
And then what happens is he comes to help me and I'm so convinced he's a horrible person. I go, I want nothing to do with you. Does that make sense? Is that the powerful of being somebody who is so locked into a perception that I don't even see the reality around me? And it's so easy for us to get there where we just, we just filter stuff the way we want to see it. And as, as a result... We, we make decisions that are totally irrational decisions and we can stop the very thing that God is doing to help us because we don't see it because we're so locked into our own perceptions. It's destructive. And we have to choose to make a difference. We have to choose to, to stop that stuff. And the way that you do it is you begin to understand what determines what your perceptions are. It's not your circumstances. It's the Word of God. It's who God is. God becomes the filter that we use to build our perceptions and understand what's going on around us. Not our circumstances, not what other, what's happening in other people's lives. It's the Word of God. And so Moses finds himself in kind of an interesting situation because he's trying to help his people and um, they aren't letting him. And then it says in verse 15 that when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. So I really believe God wanted, I mean Moses wanted to help. And he really couldn't because of the stuff that was going on and people's baggage. And look at, aren't we like that? Don't we have things that happen in our lives that just cause us to start perceiving things certain ways? Don't we have things that happen where we just have baggage that occurs in our lives? In fact, in our culture today, it's even worse than that. In our culture today, um, especially our young people are being told that how you are really isn't your fault. It's your parents' fault. So your parents, too bad, man. You're going to ruin your kids. That's, you know, I mean, we, we're a culture where we want to blame everything that's going on on something else. So you're the way you are because your parents spanked you when you're a year and a half years old. Or they didn't affirm you enough. Or, or you're, you're the way you are because you grew up in this environment and it's such an unhealthy environment. Or you are the way you are because, you know, somebody said something that hurt you when you are in junior high and and, and that's, just, that's just how it is. That's just who you are. And, and, and we, we believe this stuff and we buy this stuff and we accept this stuff. And the reality is, do, do we have baggage? I mean, has stuff happened in our life that just wasn't good stuff? That just we're just carrying it around? Have people hurt us and it just hurts? Has stuff happened that's just caused us to, be, to experience pain? But do, are we, do we have to be stuck there? No, absolutely not. When Jesus said, I came to set the captives free, can we be freed from all that baggage? Can we be freed from all that stuff that went on that's, that's holding us back? Absolutely. Because here's the thing, and I believe this with all my heart, God is in the business of transforming lives. God is in, amen, thank you. God is in the business of transforming lives. God wants to take you here where you are, stuck, 
And he wants to move you there where he wants you to be. And the process of going from here to there is a journey that we go on. And the process of going from here to there is where we, we trust God in the journey. We trust him to take us from here to there. We trust him that what he's doing is right and good and it's going to help us. We know that as we're sitting here, we know that he has a purpose. That he has a promise that he's going he's to execute his purpose. And as he takes us there, we know that there's preparation that has to happen to get me to be the person that I need to be to do what he wants me to do. See, when we understand that, we can take the baggage that we have and we can go, God, I'm not going to hate that person. I'm not going to be bitter about that person. I'm not going to resent that person. I'm going to let you make the changes that need to happen. I'm going to let you change me and work in my life. So I can become the instrument that you want to use to fulfill your purposes. See, I think Moses wanted to help, but Moses was an Egyptian prince, and the way that you help people is you conquer, and you, you take control, and you, you make things happen. He was going to do it in his own power. He was going to do it his way, and his way doesn't work. And so we see as we look at, at um, you know, his, 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 uh, his travels, he has to go to Midian because if he went to Canaan and Syria, they had, they had a, a, a treaty between Ramsey and the, and the Hittite king that if anybody was, was a criminal, you would arrest him and then extradite him back to the country. So he, he, wouldn't, he would not survive there. And plus, if he had any education in Hebrew, he would know that Midianites were, Midian was a son of Abraham, and so there would be, there, he would have some some fellowship and brethren that would be in, 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 uh, in Midian. And so, that, 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 I mean, the Bible didn't talk about how, he says he left. Did he leave on a horse? Did he leave on a camel? Did he leave on a chariot? Did he leave on foot? I don't know. He left. So did it take him a week, two weeks, three months? How long did it take him? I don't know, but it probably took him a while to go several hundred miles, however he was traveling. Because my guess is he didn't have a jet. Okay. So he didn't take the Egyptian private jet. So whatever he took, it took him a while. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, but if I was him, I would have, if I had weeks or months to think about this whole thing, there would be a lot of self-talk going through my mind. And it wouldn't be healthy self-talk. I don't, I don't know how you guys are, but man, I, I am much more negative about me than I am about anything else. Something happens to Ricky and I go, no, Bart, no problem, Ricky. That's okay. Don't worry about it. It happens to me. I go, you are an idiot. How could you be so stupid? Nobody is that stupid to do that. Do you guys ever do that to yourself? Man, I'll let, I'll let things pass for everybody else, but if it happens to me, I'm all over it. Imagine Moses thinking, man, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. What was I thinking? I mean, those Hebrews, what a bunch of idiots. These guys are so stupid. I mean, here I'm trying to help them, and they don't want any help, and I, man, they can just rot. I don't care. And now what am I going to do? I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I lost everything. Think about it. Verse 16, as he's, as he's sitting by the well, miserate, commiserating, misery, being miserable, complaining. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So this guy's a prince, man. He's going to be, he took care of it. When they came to rail their father, he said, 
Why have you come back so soon today? And so they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses, and she gave birth to a son named them Gershom, because I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So here's Moses sitting by the well. Shepherds come, and um, he sends them away. And, and these, these seven daughters of Ruel show up. He, he takes care of them. They, they come back, and Dad goes, how come you guys are back here so fast? And they say, well, this, this Egyptian guy came and took care of all the shepherds and even watered our stuff and took care of everything. And he goes, where are they? Where is he? Oh, we left them back there. <laughs> ladies, ladies, there's seven of you. There's a man there. What are you doing leaving him behind? What are you thinking? Come on, go get him. There's hope. Does he have brothers? But he says, he says this, in verse 21, Moses was willing to dwell with the man. Moses was willing to be a shepherd. Moses went from the palace to pasture. Went from being a prince to being a shepherd. You know what the Egyptians' view of shepherds were? Genesis 46, 34 says, To an Egyptian, a shepherd is an abomination. From a prince to an abomination. Wow. Wow. Now, here's a, here's a challenge for us, right, you guys? Because when we talk about going from here to there, don't we like going from here where things are a mess to there where things are good? Amen? Don't we like going here where we're poor to there where we're rich, right? Don't we like going here where our career's trashed to there where we're the CEO, right? That's where it's supposed to happen, right? We're not supposed to go from here, I'm a somebody, to there, I'm a nobody, that is not right. Is it? Does that even make sense? I'm going from here, a prince, to there, an abomination. That's what happened in Moses' life. See, from a career point of view, Moses' career path was a colossal failure. It was a train wreck. His career decisions were horrible colossal failure he went from being a prince to being an abomination great career move dude right but from a point of fulfilling God's purpose he was a massive success and too often we're too concerned about being a colossal success in the eyes of the world and not concerned enough about being a massive success according to God's purposes. And here was God taking Moses because Moses, Moses was the right person with the wrong perspective. Moses was the right person who thought the way to accomplish God's purposes is to conquer, is to lead, is to rule, is to be powerful. God says, the right way to lead my people is to be a shepherd because you have to lead these people because you're not just going to improve their situations. You're going to move them out of Egypt to the promised land. And you know, when God calls us sheep, you know why he calls us sheep that need a shepherd? 
Because sheep are dumb. Okay, now you guys may not like that, but I know I'm dumb. Ask Marge. She will confirm that. We, we just don't get it, man. We're just wandering off and stuff. If he was a prince, you know what happened the first time God says, I'm destroying him all. He goes, you go for it, God, because I want nothing to do with him either. Just wipe them all out. But God created a shepherd, and he says, oh, no, man. We, I love these sheep. These are, these, are, these are sheep that you love, God, and you have a purpose for. It changed his heart to be a shepherd that loved people, that loved what God was doing, that wanted to lead people. It was a huge shift for Moses in his perception. So as God was preparing Moses and creating in him a shepherd's heart, he was doing the same thing with the people in Egypt. And we'll wrap this up with this. Verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now, it's not like God forgot that he had a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he didn't notice what was happening with the people. Basically, what he said is, you guys are finally ready to be led. You guys are finally ready to allow me to move in you. You guys are finally ready to get out of Egypt. See, before, they didn't want to leave. They just wanted to fix things. And aren't we like that so often? You know, my marriage would be just so perfect if you just fixed my spouse. <laughs> Everything would be fine. You know, my neighborhood would be great if you just took care of that neighbor. You know, my job would be so good if you just fixed my boss. Right? We just want to stay in Egypt. We just want God to fix a few things. And God says, I want to take you out of Egypt. I don't want to just fix it. I want to transform it. I want to transform you. I want to make a difference in your life. So I want to ask you, what about you? You know, where are you today? Are you in a hopeless situation where you just don't think God can do anything? God is working out his purpose in a powerful way. Are you doing really great and you're just totally in control and you really don't need God? God's going to help you understand that you need him. Because it's when you're walking in relationship with him that we accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Listen, everybody in this room has been created exactly the way God wants you to be created. There's only one you. Nobody else is like you. Not even identical twins. There is no identical person because God has a specific purpose for each one of us. And he promises that he's going to carry out that purpose. And he wants us to be used by him in all of the circumstances that we're in. We have families. And I didn't understand it when I was younger. But as I get older, I can see why it happens. But I mean, when you have families where brothers and sisters won't even talk to each other, something is broken there. And when some of those people are Christians, is there a perception that people have that's inaccurate? Oh, they hurt my feelings, you know, and I'm not messing with people who are just going to hurt my feelings. Uh-huh, I'll teach them. 
We have these perceptions that we get that just blind us. And that last song that we sang is so powerful because I tell you, we can be walking around. If I was walking around in pink sunglasses, everything would be pink. I go, that's a nice pink shirt. She goes, that's not pink, it's white. I go, it is pink. I go, no, it's, she goes, it's white. Ricky says, Dave, it's white. Oh, yeah, it is white. Okay, but you know what? You're not going to convince me because I'm so convinced that what I'm seeing is really true, then nobody will change my mind. How many times you guys who are married do that with your spouses? You go, no, it went this way. And they go, no, it went that way. No, it went this way. No. And especially if you're talking about, you know, well, I, what I said three hours ago, and nobody knows what I said three hours ago, and we're arguing about it. You can't prove it anyway. You can't even Google it. Siri, what did I say three hours ago? Sorry, Dave, wasn't listening. But we can get so locked into our perceptions that we miss what God's doing. And I just want you to know, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your personal life, God is in control. God has a purpose. And He's promised He's going to carry out His purpose. And He's preparing you right now to do what He wants to do. Whether you're in school, whether you're in a career, whether you're between school and a career, God is, is doing a work in you to help you be the person that he wants you to be to do what he wants you to do. And by the way, he's preparing wherever it is he's going to put you so that when you get there, everything is set. The question is, will I let him prepare me? Will I let him change my perspective from how I see things and the worldly way that I see things and let him begin to change those things because what needs to happen is I need to say this behavior is not godly and I'm going to stop it right now and I'm choosing to talk to myself differently about what's true, not what I'm perceiving based on my circumstances and I'm going to let God then change my perspective so now I'm looking at things differently knowing that God is in control, that God is almighty, that God is the creator of the universe, that God is the creator of me and God has a plan for me and he's executing that plan. And I can trust him in that. Amen? Amen? That's what it's all about. And then the rest is history. It takes people out of the promised land and does a miraculous work. And we're going to do that over the next, like, you know, if Doug doesn't get healed, we may be doing this for eight weeks. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, I keep praying for healing. <laughs> and that was my daughter. Let's pray together.